My name is Casey Watkins. I'm with Sith Marketing. We have my wonderful co-host over there. I'm wonderful now? Man. Uh, oh my God. I'm sorry. <laughs> right, <laughs> so, now. right now you <laughs> that's are. That's what you say on camera. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Adams, Predictive Online Marketing. Uh, longtime friend, Craig Andrews, uh, with, uh, CEO of uh, Allies for Me. And uh, take it away, Craig. Yeah, so my name's uh, Craig Andrews. Is Kevin Sam with Allies for Me. And, um, you know, I'm... I guess if I had an intro for myself, I'm one of those people that eventually find the right answer because I systematically eliminate all the wrong ways of doing them by trying it. And, uh, and one of the things I used to struggle a lot with was sales. And I'd see these naturally talented people who could just sell like nothing else. I was like, how do they do it? And, and the fact is I can't do it their way, uh, even if I tried. Uh, but the really cool thing is, that the, I think the way I describe it is I don't really sell. I just create an environment where people want to buy. I like that. Like that. So, all right, I'm going to jump in. You want to, um, So you're engineering sales. Um, we were in semiconductor industries. So I'm talking off the uh, conversation before. Now, what gets you out of semiconductor industry and going into marketing? Well, you know, it's funny. I was in market, I actually did marketing when I was in the semiconductor world. Um, you know, I had this idea that, you know, if I become an engineer, I'm going to be able to be creative and build all these really cool things. And I came out of job, uh, came out of college and actually had what many would consider a really choice engineering job. I was a design engineer. Most, most engineers are not design engineers. They're usually in some type of support function. Uh, not only was I a design engineer, but I was designing cell phones in the early days of cell phones back in the 90s. And, um, and I always had a drawer full, full of phones when people were excited to get their first phone. But what I discovered was there wasn't a lot of opportunity to be creative. It's, you know, it's, it's not that type of environment. And so I decided uh, to move from that uh, side of tech to, to the marketing side of tech and uh, went, uh, joined a semiconductor company that provided parts for cell phones. And, um, and so for, you know, for about a decade, I uh, um, marketed chips uh, to people who built, uh, built cell phones and drove about a billion dollars revenue doing that. And so um, you get out of that, you got out of that completely and just stayed in marketing. Is that, was it just like a, like I'm done with this or? No, it's a good question. You know, it was a hard life, uh, you know, and before I went to work for a semiconductor company, I, no kidding, about a year or two before I joined a semiconductor company, I told somebody, I said, I will never work for a semiconductor company. And they said, why? I said, they work too hard. I watch them work and these guys work really hard. And I ended up joining one. It was hard work, but it was fun. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and they took good care of us. I mean, I was going over to Asia four or five times a year. And um, you fly in nice uh, nice parts of the airplane. You stay in nice hotels. You eat nice food. They take good care of you. And what happens with many markets as they become mature, you know, the profit margin starts going away and away and away. And it's not long before they start looking at the employees and saying, uh, hey, you know what? We don't think we're going to fly you in the front of the plane. We think we're going to fly you in the back of the plane. And if we could fly you on the wing, figure out a way to fly you on the wing, we would do that. <laughs> and um, and so I had 
you know, I saw that trend coming years before it happened. And I always said, you know, the day they make me fly coach to Asia, I'm done. And sure enough, that time came. And, um, and so I went ahead and left and, um, thought, you know, I'll do some type of marketing consultancy and started bumping around, uh, doing something. And, you know, initially just kind of staggered into the world of SEO, uh, very, very unintentionally. Um, and, and then once I got into SEO, I was looking at, it and I thought, huh, you know, for SEO, you're paid to drive traffic, but I bet they want the traffic to do something once they get there. So I started looking at conversion optimization because I thought, you know, Google always said, uh, put the best page on the internet and we'll rank it. And I thought, well, how do you measure that? And the only way I could think of measuring that was by conversion rates. So I started doing that. And then it hit me. I was like, okay, people probably like the leads that come from conversions, but probably what they like more is having customers convert from those leads. And so with enough time, uh, as I kept looking at it, I wanted to get away from, hey, we're about driving traffic to we're about growing your business. And so where we are right now is um, from start uh, to finish, even past, you know, our scope goes even past uh, somebody becoming a customer uh, because we believe, especially the first few moments after they make that commitment, those are critical few moments that if you do a few things uniquely, uh, it really cements that bond and it makes a, um, when, when somebody sees how you behave after they have your money, uh, all of a sudden that's the thing that starts driving rave reviews. And so we focus on the process all the way up to being a customer and then even afterwards. Yeah, I love that. Like the ethical marketing, you know, we have, you know, there's a lot of marketing that like, oh, marketers, they ruin everything. Let me do. Um, but, you know, the, you know, worrying about like, you know, how, you know, am I, am I actually taking care of my customers? You know, you don't see that on the back end. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a process of like teaching ourselves, like butting our, you know, like uh, trying to, trying to make more money and then realizing or trying to make a client make more money. And then sometimes like creating a bad experience and then like, shit, how would I feel? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Even for me, my follow-up after the sales, just setting up like a report for the marketing that they get on a monthly basis. Most of them are ecstatic just for that because they don't know what's going on. So yeah. it, it's, it, it's weird that how much the small things, being attentive to small things matter to customers. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny. We... You know, when we first talk to somebody, we uh, lay out in our very first conversation with the prospect, we lay out, you know, the framework we use. And it's funny when when people going through that start realizing, hey, wait a minute, this is what you just talked about. You're doing what you just said. And, <laughs> and I said, you know, if I didn't do that, you should probably run for the hills. Yeah. You know, we we practice what we preach because we. We uh, we believe it feels good, and and hopefully when it when you get to experience how it feels when we treat you this way, hopefully that motivates you to treat your customers the same way. Yep. 
and you t you talk about first time offers all the time. This like and and the techniques and the and the the connections that you like make on those. Those like those get me, and I'm like, why didn't? Oh, of course. Um, yeah, talk more about those. Yeah. So let me let me back up just a step and and kind of give a a high level of the framework so you can kind of think through this. So we see it as as like we we call it the relationship model. You know, you have an introduction, and then you have conversation. If the conversation goes well, you don't jump to marriage, right? You usually have a coffee date. And that's our first time offer is that coffee date. Uh, and then if coffee goes well, then you have a dinner date. And then if that goes well, then you finally have commitment. And, and then there's, again, that step after commitment that matters as well. But the, um, you know, so if you think about a coffee date, you know, and, I, and I, I don't want to pretend to get in the heads of women, but when I listen to them, I hear them, you know, I hear stories about how they're meeting somebody for coffee and they have their girlfriend sitting in a car around the corner, five minutes away, texting them saying, hey, do you need a rescue? You know, because it's a, you know, they're, they're like, he looks okay, but I'm not sure. And if, if you're in the business of selling, uh, certainly, you know, consulting services like we do, I mean, people are making a big commitment, it's scary, and they don't know you. And so we put together this thing called a first time offer that we just price stupidly cheap. We price it so cheap that anybody who is reasonably considering doing what we help them do, when they see it, they say yes. And about half the people that we make that offer to say yes, and about half say no. And we celebrate both because we we want that to, you know, kind of operate as a filter. If somebody's, if we can't help somebody or for whatever reason there's a mismatch, we'd rather find out early. That's the purpose of the coffee date. And um, but then the process of doing that, just like a coffee date, they get to figure out if we won't go further with them. Um, or, you know, they get to figure out if they want to go further with us and we get to figure out if we want to go further with them. Uh, because one of the worst things I could imagine would be getting locked in just like some long commitment and, and like, you know, a month or two in, you figure out you hate each other. Describing yeah. me and Kevin's relationship. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right. We're yeah. locked into this. Great. Here we go. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, no, I I love that, you know. Like, I mean, it's one thing, you know, like, hey, there's that, there's a honeymoon phase, but there's just a regular time. You got to know that you can talk to that person and 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 put up with Casey. I mean, uh, the person, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, and uh, I I get that. I, I've I've worked on uh, stuff, and the and the deal sounded great, and suddenly we're locked in, and my my way of doing things is absolutely not the way they want to do it and it's and and i can already feel there's going to be tension and that that's i mean you got to get through the work day right you gotta you know like you're gonna enjoy find the stuff you enjoy about work and when things get in your head um and that can be on both sides that's the that's the worst thing for it's expensive for everyone right yeah yeah, yeah and the last thing we want to do and, and we try to figure out during that time if we can actually help them because, you know, for me, one of the biggest sins I could commit is to actually take somebody's money and not change their business. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and you have, uh, I see, you pulled, you gave a, a gift. If anybody wants to uh, try this out. 
Yeah, I've I haven't updated the YouTube video, but I posted it in the links I shared. As soon as this video is over, I'll update the links. Cool. That'll go out in the description. All right. Yeah, and just to let everybody know what it is, the um, you know we're talking about first time offer. So uh, we have a uh, and let me back up. When I first started working on this, again, as I said earlier, we figure out how to do things right by trying finding all the wrong ways to do it first. It's kind of like Thomas Edison said. Somebody asked Edison, they said, have you figured out how to make a light bulb? And he said, no, but I figured out a thousand ways not to make one. And, uh, and, and so unfortunately, you know, that's, that ends up being my process in so many things. And when I first started going down this concept, I, I had the broad sense of how it would work. And uh, now this is dating myself a little bit, but there used to be a, this uh, place called Columbia House Records. Uh, and for one penny, you could get 13 albums. Uh, and then it became 13 CDs. But the, the, that's, that was kind of a very, very simple version of a first-time offer where, you know, if you're, in the biz if you're trying to build your music collection, you know, certainly you would pay one penny you know, to buy all you know, the 13 albums. And then once you experience what it's like working with Columbia House Records, then you, you know, hopefully would stay as a member and they would make money off you over the long run. And so I tried, and, and unfortunately, a, especially for a complex product or service, a, um, a model that simple doesn't work well. And, and I made a bunch of mistakes, you know, unbelievable mistakes looking at in hindsight. But it took me about 18 months to finally figure it out and get it to start working. And then we perfected it over time since then. So in terms of the two gifts, one is kind of a worksheet that if you want, uh, or a guide that if you want to do this, here's how to avoid most of the mistakes that I made uh, in the process of doing it. And then the other gift is we actually have a course on our website where you can come in and uh, take the course. It's a 10 day course where at the end of that, you actually have uh, put together a first time offer and we're, we'll give 23 days of access for that. Uh, now, part of the reason we put a cap on that is, um, you know, I'm like you guys, I've signed up for free gifts, free courses before and never showed up and did the coursework. And my goal is to actually see businesses changed. And so I know if we put a little bit of scarcity that you have this, you have it for 23 days, um, that the probability that you'll do something with it is higher if we put those bounds on that. And so that's the reason for that. Yeah, I love the thinking that you put into these things. Like this is, you know, okay, this is what you'd think is happening, but you know, we're humans, we're all doing, you know, and you talk about like going through the mistakes. Um, I, I think that's how we get to know what we're doing. <laughs> it's because we know everything that not to do. Um, so what are, what kind of, first time offers do you normally try to set up for people i mean i for like a plumber i'm kind of seeing that being a little difficult but i'm assuming there are some good businesses it works for and then there's some others that yeah not well, so much well no here i mean here let me give some examples actually from the home service market um 
so there's a roofing company in Austin that um, if you lost, you know, if you had a storm come through and you lost some shingles off your roof, they would come out and they would replace up to, I think it was like up to six shingles for 75 bucks. So they would oh, come wow. out climb on your roof, replace the shingles, 75 bucks, you're back in business. And all they were doing was building, building a pipeline of business by doing that because someday you're going to need a whole new roof and guess who has the relationship? Guess who has the trust? And, um, and so we had a, uh, we had a really nasty hailstorm a number of years ago and sure enough, guess who I called right away. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of other people had hail damage and they're like, wow, we really wish we could get to you, but we can't. And so they ended up, uh, but they were the very first ones that I called when I needed them. Um, I've heard of um, in the plumbing business, um, you know, so a number of years ago, they uh, they changed the um, the size of water heater that you could sell. And, you know, if you're like me and for some strange reason, they put the water heaters in the attic. Um, you know, you have to get this thing through the through the opening to get up in the in the attic. And so one of the things that I heard offered was, hey, for, you know, 50 bucks or something, we'll come out and we'll look at your water heater and, you know, just let you know where, you know, basically come in and add some value that's uh, disproportionately high to the services that you receive. You know, um, there's another company called uh, 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Have you guys heard of that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, real familiar with them. I know the guy that writes the ads that you hear and um, they had a, uh, you know, early on, they were trying to figure out how to price things. And they said, you know what? People don't want to think about this. Uh, why don't you price it? We'll pick up any old TV for 25 bucks. And this was before the days of flat screens. This is when you, know, you, you might hurt your back getting oh, that yeah. TV out of there monstrosities <laughs> yeah and so at 25 bucks they would lose money picking up the tv but usually what happened is while you were there you know the the um drivers were trained to say hey while we're here is there anything else you want picked up and sure enough there was and then that's how they made the money so wow. there's there's three different examples. Now, those are fairly simple. Usually when we're putting together a first-time offer, it has three to five milestones, three to five deliverables. But usually we're working with uh, products or services that are a little bit more complex than when yeah. you got junk. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the, okay. man, the TV. Yeah, I mean, the moment someone's there, like, do you have anything else? Well, of course I do. I've got other stuff. I've, I just haven't dumped it off that I was calling you about the one that was top of mind. Um, yeah. And I, I would have too much fun with a, with a plumbing kind of like right, first time offers for number two problems. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, hey, people, people will remember it. There's, um, well, the guy who writes the uh, the ads for One Eight Hundred Got Junk, uh, he just picked up a a HVAC plumbing and electrical company in um, in Detroit, and it's run by a lady. And so the whole campaign he's running, if you 
it's her saying, if you need a guy, I'm your guy. And <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. And there's some other things that's, you know, I've probably said too much already, but the, um, He's doing some other things that are really clever in that campaign. You can't just re you know, redo that same. Uh, yeah, I guess you could clone it at, in different markets. But um, so do you? Those are those are like a hook, right? Um, what would you like for uh, if you? I don't know. Probably given some ideas. Um, just so like you're talking about like so if it's just a simple business. Uh, you know they're going to have some bigger problem down the road. They probably got a small one. You would throw out like a, a loss leader, we'd call it, right? Right. Um, and, and okay, so that's that's our relationship. And now it's just a waiting thing. I'm throwing out like throwing out like opportunities, and I'm not making much off of most of those, but they're going to start coming back. And that's that's the most simple type. Is that that sound yeah, right? Yeah, and, and, and that's, I mean, that's a tough thing if you're in the roofing business or if you're in the HVAC business, most days of the year, people or plumbing business, most days of the year, people don't need your services. And so the marketing challenge there is, you know, on that one odd day that they need you, you wouldn't be top of mind. Yeah. And so that's, that's the challenge with that. But, um, you know, for instance, when somebody comes to us and needs help with marketing, you know, the, the, the reality is people need help with marketing all the time. You know, it's not something where we have to wait for a roof to, you know, we have to wait 20 years for a roof to fail. Um, yeah. But the, um, you know, the, when somebody's coming to you in shopping mode, so maybe that's one way of differentiating it is if you're in a business that they need you infrequently and you want to be top of mind when they do need you, you just need a strategy to get there. And, and some of that would be, you know, with uh, that roofing company that would come and replace shingles for 75 bucks. That was great. That was a great way of doing that. It kept them top of mind. Yeah. You know, I have a little binder that I keep at my house that I call the house binder. It has all the contractors we use. And so, you know, anytime we have uh, a need, we just pull out the binder, right? We call them. Uh, but for other businesses, you know, if, if somebody's coming to, um, you know, somebody realizes they need some help with marketing, and they come to us, what we do our first time offer is we have like, uh, we have five deliverables and we say it should be three, no less than three, no more than five uh, deliverables. And, and we just kind of lay out those five deliverables and think of those deliverables as milestones. So if they're standing here, they, they know they wouldn't be way over here. And what we do is we help them get partway on that path. And partway down that path with what we're delivering. And so they, um, so it takes a lot of the risk out for them because they say, you know, they can say, well, it's not much money. And if we don't move forward with this guy, we at least are closer to our goal than we were before we engaged with them. And so that's, you know, when you're dealing with, uh, with more complex offers and you have somebody come to you, that's, um, those work really well. As a matter of fact, you know, we've had people, you know, doing the standard deal shopping for agencies where they, they decide they're going to talk to three different agencies. We're on the list. And, um, you know, and we've had people actually cancel calls with the other agencies once we present the first time offer, which is amazing. So anybody that's ever put out a proposal and 
you know, and waited those dreaded days, you know, to see if the proposal comes back. <laughs> we don't live that way. Yeah, wow. and I've had those. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, because I, I completely get it. You've got the, uh, you know, I, if someone's going to go with like a marketing agency, they're going to be putting in not only an investment of uh, of capital into that. Um, but it's a it's an opportunity cost. If they if they guess wrong, they they miss a growth opportunity. That can be six months of like we're just going sideways this whole time, and maybe they're just break even and not losing. But it's like, um, so it's a lot of like it makes you risk averse. It's like I have to make a decision, but I, it's all like they're all talking like half the people are talking a lingo that I don't quite get. Um, and um, so you're like, hey just try, try this out just see and if it doesn't work good yeah um, yeah our fifth our fifth deliverable is actually a 90-day execution plan so that you know so that they know when they're done when we're done with this little period and they get it and actually hang on let me grab something So here's what they get. <laughs> Sorry, I was I was filling time. <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry to leave. Sorry for the dead air. Um, <laughs> you forced the audience to see this. <laughs> yeah, forced him to be like, oh, he's dancing now. This so, is extortion. <laughs> so this is a this is a binder that just shipped out recently. And yeah. when you open it up, um, you have, you know, we outline the framework that we're doing. Um, we start uh, having, here's a section that's on messaging. Um, on this, this is a, uh, a self-assessment they we had them do, you know, where they answer a few questions on our website. And we came back and said, hey, you know what? Here's clients that you work uniquely well with. And here's what makes those clients tick. Oh. And... Um, and then we did a gap analysis, uh, to figure out what was missing. And, uh, then we have a content plan, uh, for, you know, six month content plan. Here's the content you should de develop over the next six months. And then here's an execution plan. They actually have a marketing plan. When they, when they finish this mini project, they have a 90 day execution plan so that they know what to do over the next 90 days. And we tell them very explicitly that you can, um, you can take this plan, you can execute it yourself, or you can take it to someone else and have them execute it for you. Or if we mutually agree, we will help you execute it. So, I mean, this is something they're walking away with. They're actually walking away with a marketing plan and a nice binder that they can, Go run their business with, and if they that get empowering a person. I mean, I mean, I've seen a lot of times like someone walks away like, I, I like this. You know what you you know like plenty of marketers really great at what they do. Walk away and go, what they're doing is fantastic, but I have no idea what I. You know, it's not just the intricacies that they're like. I I just don't get in general what's going on. So they, they have, if they leave that partnership, they have nothing to take away from it. This is like, hey, I've got a broad scope. Like this is, a, this is actionable. The details, sure, I mean, to get people to, you know, to get into that. But that is, 
that is empowerment. I like that. Love that. Yeah. And guess what? If they decide they don't like us, that's okay. They now know how to interview their next agency. Yeah. I, I don't know anybody that didn't like you. <laughs> that's, um, but, but as you know, I, I get it on the, on the business level. Like, yeah, sometimes that, that, um, the, are, are you okay with sharing like the last year? Sure. Okay? Oh man, that, that, that's a powerful story. Um, yeah. So, uh, this time last year I was horizontal and my wife was meeting with hospice and the, uh, the doctors were telling them, uh, telling her I wasn't going to make it. And, um, and it was funny. They, uh, she would see something she's like, Hey, this is a positive sign. Right. And the docs, you're like, nah, he's still going to die. And another one thing would happen. She's like, well, this is a positive sign. Docs are like, nah, nah, he's, he's going to die. And eventually I didn't die. And she's like, hey, this is a positive sign, right? And Doc said, he's not going to be right in the head. She's like, oh, that's normal. So um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's so a keeper. <laughs> the, the, journey, the journey returning to abnormal has been fairly short. And um but the uh, yeah, so I had I had a really bad case of COVID. I had double uh, pneumonia. Um, I was in the hospital for three months, and uh, they and on the ventilator for twenty five days. And in the course of five weeks, I lost forty pounds. Uh, and yeah, part of that was they were malnourishing me. I don't know how that happened, but anyway, uh, when I woke up, I could lift a finger, but I couldn't lift an arm. And I couldn't lift my legs. And so basically since October, I've been learning how to walk again. I've been um, learning, you know, rebuilding coordination and balance and lung capacity. Uh, if you've been listening closely, like right there, you probably hear me uh, pause and take a breath. Uh, because even sitting here, uh, I don't have the lung capacity I used to have. And so I have to sometimes pause while I'm talking and take in some oxygen. Uh, but the, um, you know, it's been a, um, it certainly not the path I would have chosen, uh, but there have been many good things that have come from this. Uh, the relationship with my wife has just been, uh, has just really come together in a strong way. That's, you know, hard to describe. Um, as a matter of fact, this is kind of funny. The, yeah, so when they do that to you, they put you on some serious drugs. And um, one of my first memories of her, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in bed and I'm looking up and everything's a little bit hazy. And I'm listening to her talk. And to me, she sounds completely manic. And she has like some weird camouflage on her head. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, huh, well, she kind of lost it since I've been checked out. But uh that's okay. That's what we have. That's what we'll work with. And um, <laughs> turns out that was a hallucination. And, um, and I had a those. but no, it's, it's, that's been, that's been really wonderful. Um, you know, how it's brought my wife and I closer together. Um, it's, 
uh, it's, you know, it's frustrating at times, you know, uh, you know, I, I walk upstairs and I'm huffing and puffing by the time I get to the top. Uh, but you know, there's, it, it's, it's been a really neat time. I had clients visit me uh, when I was in the hospital. Uh, one client, uh, I was telling him, I said, my goal is to be back at work by January uh, 1st. And he said, look, take as much time as you need. Um, we'll be here waiting for you. We're not hiring someone else. Uh, and just so you know, my expectation was you that we weren't expecting to see you until second quarter. And the, um, you know, it was, it was really, um, it, it was neat. It was heartening to see that, you know, that, um, I don't know. It, it's good to know that you made an impact. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, it's one thing to get, you know, like uh, as a business relationship, you know, but on, on that kind of connecting that that's huge. Um, Man, that is. So my questions would be, I'm, I'm okay. I'm a little bit, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to word this without getting all teary eyed. I know there's going to be a day when I have health issues that may or may not end my existence of being here. I have, as I'm looking over at her, a lovely wife that would still like to have, well, besides my company, finances. Because I'm assuming, this is probably a horrible assumption, but I'm assuming with you owning your own business, you kind of make the majority of the money, or does your wife work? No, no, it's, it's yeah, no, I make... Uh, yeah, definitely the majority provider. And um, by the way, the month before I went in the hospital, I switched from QuickBooks desktop, where I was the only one that knew the way into QuickBooks, to QuickBooks Online, where I had somebody who could actually tell my wife while I was checked out how much money we had and uh, make sure my employees got paid, make sure vendors got paid and uh make sure my wife got paid and um and that was that that's one of the bizarre things if if i had gone in the hospital a month earlier uh she would have been in complete darkness where we were financially from a business standpoint wow that timing flip yeah so have you made made like adjustments personally and businessly businessly wow because (laughs) I'm sitting here drinking water, not wine like you, and I can't. Is that talk. a plug-in for uh, Chrome or something? Yeah. Businessly, <laughs> have you, have you made adjustments for that? Uh, a little bit. I haven't done as much as I should. There, there are a couple things that I intended to do um, that would uh, that would make a that would make it easier. Take a little bit of the guesswork out out of things. Um, you know, basically a, um, you know, a, a, a hidden key that, you know, kind of unlocks a number of things. Um, now I thought I'd had that in place. I, I did, but somebody forgot that they had the key and, wow. um, um, but that's, 
So what, you know, what that teaches me is the method I have was not robust enough. And so I have to strengthen that a little bit. Okay. Uh, and by the way, before I forget one thing that, you know, when I woke up and my wife started telling me what had been going on, um, you know, it, it um, if I had enough strength, I'm sure it would have moved me to tears. I didn't have enough strength at the time, but she told me how people like Kevin and uh, Libby and others had just kind of stepped in and kept everything running while I was checked out. And that was, um, uh, that was amazing. That was absolutely amazing to hear, uh, that, um, things kept running even when I was gone. Man, uh, I was talking, uh, Livy was, was really, like, she was, uh, <laughs> trying to hold it together, but she was, uh, and she was really in there as a champ. I didn't talk to, to anyone else on it, but, um, yeah, that, at that moment, that wasn't there wasn't a question on that. But um, we both agreed um, that if there was a chance, you were Craig was going to be back. There was there wasn't a question. If there was a chance, you were coming out of it. And um, and uh, yeah, I don't wanna... <laughs> sorry. Yeah. yeah, I'm so glad you came back and made it. Um, well, thank you. Yeah, Dan, that, yeah, sorry, um, whew, um, that wasn't good, <laughs> the, um, shit, um, <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a, it, it was a, it was a tough time, and, and the, yeah, it was amazing how people stepped up, you know, I think that's a, uh, you know, a lesson from that time, you know, um, everybody stepped up in ways that were amazing. You know, my wife, um, you know, if you talk to anybody that followed her blog and looked at what she walked through, they, they're just amazed at what they, what she did. And, you know, I had somebody recently tell me, they said, I could never do that. I'm not that strong. And, I suspect, I suspect they could, you know, and, and that's the thing you don't know um, until you're in that situation. And when that's your, when that's your only choice, you figure it out. Yeah. And the, um, man, um, <laughs> um, the, so I, I think there's something like you had an opportunity in that, um, to, to take a step back from, from, uh, from marketing and, and come back at it. Right. And just look at everything that you had been doing. And now you had a probably, you had to have a, a completely different vantage point and looking and going, uh, was it, was it a feeling of I'm relearning what I like, how much of it was relearning what you were doing and then looking at it and going, how much of it was, why was I doing this part? No, why that's, was I that, doing that? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, you know, in, in terms of, 
the general nature and the strategy of what we we're doing, I don't think that's changed that much. Um, the, um, but if there was anything, I mean, if there was ever a clear lesson lesson from this time from a business standpoint, it's the importance of building teams of people. You know, because if your business is dependent upon one person, uh, that's not good. And, you know, if anything, it just really emphasized the, the importance of building, building teams of people, giving them opportunities to excel and, um, and building, building the capability of as many people as possible, you know, and, um, that would be, I think that would be kind of the big lesson and just kind of reinforce that. And, and, you know, and coming back was hard. I mean, Kevin, you may remember, uh, you know, we, you and I talked in December and you were talking about putting together a landing page and I asked, I said, would you like help, you know, writing the copy? And what I was looking for was an opportunity to kind of put my foot back in the water and, uh, and get back into the game. And, you know, normally it might take me 45 minutes or an hour to write, you know, copy for a landing page. That copy took me five hours to write, you know, and it was just, you know, there was, you know, I was still coming, still coming back online. But uh, at that time, reading was really hard. Writing was hard. It was just, you know, there were some, um, you know, and I don't know if I fully understand why. Um, you know, you could talk about how physically, you know, my muscles had atrophied, but it was almost like my brain had atrophied as well. And, uh, you know, fortunately I've gotten past that. Uh, but the, um, but yeah, I'll never forget that five hours, uh, to write copy for a you know, fairly simple landing page. And, uh, and it was hard. I mean, I just kept going back to it and going back to it. It was just hard. I had hacked away that. Uh, a few times and I kept <laughs> and I had, I had spent more time thinking about how am I going to write this and then I'd come back to it, I'd stare at it and work on it, so cranking it out in five hours is a heck of a lot faster than anything I was doing with that um, what you were writing on that was like uh, it, was, it was one of those like uh, it's not something people really put a lot of time into thinking um, you know, about the need at the time um, it was a uh, Know, rearranging your office to be more efficient and you know having the office you know planning done and like uh, yeah so five hours man you, you got me beat um but the um i remember i was 16 run over by a jeep um uh, luckily it was a jeep so the undercarriage is like high enough that i could just get caught and drug you know for 45 feet but um, so <laughs> some terrible road rash, but not like crushing or anything except for the impact, but, uh, in, um, concussion, I think I got all my, my senses back, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, the, uh, I, I still, uh, I remember it took me, uh, probably two weeks to fully be able to use my legs. Um, and it was now I get out of the hospital bed. My my legs weren't actually impacted. They weren't hurt, but they couldn't. I couldn't. I had to step just baby steps, and I could not do full outreach uh, with them. Like um, 
extend them fully. Um, and I, and I used to love to go on walks and I just suddenly couldn't do that. But, um, so, um, I know there's a, you know, doctor could tell us all kinds of stuff about like what had happened in that moment, but I, I do know that, uh, you know, like what we're doing right here, sitting in offices, working at computers, this is not, this is not the healthy way to do things, right? We're not actually getting our blood pumping. We're not getting the oxygen to our brain very well. Um, I, I'd say I'd, I wouldn't ask this on anyone like that, you know, the experience you went through, but I think the practices you're going through to get that recovery is something we should all probably be doing a lot more of um, getting yeah. out, you know, going on you know, just stepping away from the computer. Yeah. Um, so I have two follow-up questions. First would be, if I can ask, how many do you have on your team and how did you go about building that out? Yeah. So what's the count? So, I mean, we're, we're primarily, you know, we have W2s and we have 1099s. And um, if we do all in, I would say it's what, what is, uh, seven, I think. And um and so some of it's just been built out over over time. We've had uh, we've had very little attrition, um, and you know I uh, I mean let me say this about Kevin. This is a story my wife's heard many times. I met Ke Kevin at PubCon in Vegas uh, years ago, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but here's here's the thing that was so remarkable. Um, you know, I, I was in a session one year and I asked a question and, um, and then I went back one year later and I saw him again and Kevin came up to me and said, Hey, how did it work out about regarding blah, 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 blah. And it was exactly what I'd asked him a year earlier about, and that just really stood out. And I was like, you know, at some point we have to figure out how to work together. You know, this is the type of person I want to work with. Yep. And uh, day parting on call extensions. <laughs> yeah. Like, it still remembers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why him and I are such good friends. Cause if I forget something, I can call him and <laughs> he will gladly remind me. Yes. Huh? So, uh, there's somebody working for me now, uh, W2, her name's, uh, Elena. And, uh, Elena was my first W2 that I hired. I remember seeing her resume and I thought, if this is who I think this is, I've definitely got to hire her. And so I, I met her and I was like, yeah, that's who I think, that's who I think it is. And, and, um, and fairly common thing, especially, you know, fairly common. If I have somebody working directly with me, I have them uh, have lunch with my wife and my wife does uh, sort of an interview with them. And, you know, and, Karen, my wife, and Elena had just finished lunch, and I get a text from um, from Karen, and she says, "Elena's coming to Starbucks to meet you. Give her a job." And uh, wow! <laughs> and um, and so the thing that stood out about Elena, she she grew up in Saint Petersburg, Russia, and she moved to California when she was thirteen. And as you can imagine, that's probably not the best time for a for a young lady to have their life, you know, kind yeah. of upset. And, and what I saw in Elena is she has a history 
of being thrown into unfamiliar circumstances and finding her way through. That's a skill I can't teach. There's a lot of other things I can teach. And, but I can't teach that. And that's exactly who she is. And so she worked for me for a number of years. And, uh, and then she resigned. She gave me three months notice. And, and that's when I hired Libby and Libby helped, um, train or Elena helped train a Libby. And then Libby worked for me for five years. And, um, and, you know, she had some life circumstances that made sense for her to move on this past February. It was a huge loss. Um, and so, uh, I was like, okay, what do we do? And I, I reached out to Elena. Now here's the funny thing back in October when I'm sitting in the hospital, by the way, I couldn't type, I couldn't type on a computer because my hands were just like, like this. And, oh, wow. um, that's where I learned with the iPhone. If you double tap the uh, space key, it will put a period in and move a space. I discovered that just cause I, you know, every time I hit the darn keyboard, I hit like two or three times. And, um, oh. but I got an email from, from somebody, uh, who was trying to give Elena, you know, who was interviewing and, Elena had listed me as a reference. So I gave Elena a reference for a job in October, not knowing that, you know, Libby would be moving on a number of months later. And, uh, and then I reached out to Elena after, uh, you know, after Libby resigned and, and, uh, Elena, um, you know, initially she's like, well, you know, I just started this job. Um, and then she came back like a day or two later. She's like, Hey, let's talk more. And so Elena's back and oh, wow. yeah, which is awesome. awesome. Um, so it's um, a lot of it is, you know, so there's a, um, a graphic designer and a web developer uh, that I work with uh, exclusively. So we don't do, you know, we're kind of, we're more the, if, if somebody needs a website, we architect the, kind of the structure of it, not from a technical nature, but more from a, how's the user going to come in and experience it? And how do we structure it to have the shortest path uh, to, you know, answer their questions? And, um, and, and we have, um, you know, graphic designer and web developer that we've been working with for years. And it was just um, years ago, I started looking around, tried a, a, a few others. And when I found somebody who, who was good and who we, you know, I felt like we had a good relation, you know, good match, good personality match. Uh, it was really just investing in the relationship, you know, and, and I mean, one time I was out in South Carolina visiting family and the, uh, the developer lived a couple hours away. And so, you know, I drove just to, you know, go buy him lunch and kind of, you know, build that relationship over, uh, over time. And, the um i don't know I, I i guess i would say it's just about finding the right people finding good people and and building relationships and um that's kind of been my strategy yeah it's, it's harder to you know it's like it's one thing to you know okay i'm i'm like managing an account supposed to be responsible but it's another thing when there's a person that you're like that you know and you talk to regularly and you've got a connection with like letting that person down is like it's it's much it's palpable it's like oh no 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 <laughs> this is not happening you know um and... yeah okay. yeah 
so my the... second question goes back before all this stuff. So I'm assuming your see I hate saying that. Let's rephrase that. So now I'm gonna still start with I'm assuming because that's what it's going to be. I'm assuming that your one time or your first initial offer is like a percentage of your overall what you're trying to sell them. So if you're trying to sell them like a hundred dollar product then you're just trying to get them in like a $7 product. But if you're selling them like a 5000 or $10,000 product, you're not really wanting to do a $7 product. You'd want to do like a $100 product. Or is yeah. it, I'm assuming it's like a sliding scale somehow. Um, it's sort of. Um, so the way we describe it, so first time offer has a few traits. One, it has to be an exchange of time or money. We always prefer that it's an exchange of money. There's about half a dozen psychological reasons why and a couple practical reasons why. And uh, it has to be an irresistible offer. And some of the things that make it, um, and it has to be an impulse purchase. So here's, here, this is addressing that. So as an impulse purchase, we mean the coins in the cushion in the couch or the money in your wallet or the B2B equivalent of that. So... Let me come at it from another side. It can't be a budgetary item. It can't be a discretionary purchase. It has to be an impulse purchase. And so another way that I like to put it, and just to put a, wrap a hard number around it, if it's B2B, we usually try to keep it below $500. And the reason for that is when somebody's debating making this purchase, we want it to be an amount of money that a broad number of people have approval to spend you know, so they don't need to go get ask somebody if they can spend the money. And then even more importantly, we want it to be an amount of money that if it's completely wasted, nobody's ever going to hold them accountable for how that money is spent. Oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah, you know, so you think about it. Somebody says, hey, I want to spend $5,000 on this. Uh, I mean, it may be great. It may make the business that $5,000 expenditure may make the business a hundred thousand. And if it does, they will be a hero, but they always live in fear of what if it doesn't, you know, if I get this $5,000, somebody's going to hold me accountable for how it's spent and hold me accountable for the results. And so you should have a and, and so where it would slide is if it's a B to C purchase, it's usually less than a hundred dollars. Uh, but again, it's something you, you want, you want it to be a dollar amount that people could spend on an impulse and nobody will ever hold them accountable for how that money is spent. Yeah. No one wants to be the Steve. You remember how you spent like that 5,000 that one time <laughs> you saw, we're not, we're not going your way anymore. Um, <laughs> It's funny because at my old corporate job, like you said, four seventy four. I could spend that on a credit card, no questions asked. Yeah. We hit over five hundred. Okay, well, we need three bids, and I'm like, wait, wait, yeah. what? It's a okay. trigger, huh? Yeah. So okay, that's kind of that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and for that $500, they get a fancy binder 
Um, you know, and obviously we're not making it, it costs us a hundred dollars to put one of these binders in somebody's hands. Um, but it's, you know, it's, uh, it's sort of fulfillment center. Um, I mean, that's just for the production of the binder. Yeah. Yeah. You know, production shipping, you know, productions. I think this binder was like 65 bucks to produce. And then, you know, another, you know, 35 to ship. And, um, you know, and so our goal isn't, you know, we're not out to make money you know, on that. And that's, um, but the interesting thing is it's, I found that this speeds up sales and, uh, you know, I had a mentor years ago who said the best way to speed up a sale is to slow it down. And, you know, and so this is kind of a, you know, a way of playing that out, you know, ultimately, you know, typically we make our money by being in retainer relationships with, uh, with clients. And so when we first start working with them, we don't, you know, we don't say the R word. Um, we, uh, you know, we just focus on figuring out, you know, presenting this. And like I said, it's not that we're selling it. We're, uh, it's more of, we just try to create an environment where somebody wants to buy. And if we create that environment and they don't want to buy, we've just accepted that either they're, they, either they weren't serious um, or they weren't ready or they're just not our customer. And, and that's fine. It keeps racing through my head. Yeah, so if we're trying to encourage the sale when there's already mental friction in the person person's head, we're creating more mental friction. They're slowing down the sale now going, whoa, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Um, they need to get through that time to think. So by backing off and giving them more time than they're expecting, I'm like, okay, hey, but we're still here. Um, and then making it an easy sign off everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really smart. Uh, yeah. And here's the thing. When you feel that internal pressure to close, you can't hide it. Your body language communicates it. And there are a few things in this world that we hate uh, that people hate more than being sold. Yeah. Yeah. And so this process, I mean, I really, you know, if, if somebody says no to our first time offer, we're just as happy as the times people say yes. Cause we figure that no, you know, it's, it's funny. There was, there was one time, there was one time I questioned if, if we got it right, we had, uh, it was a, it was a former client that had left uh, a company we had been working for and went to a new company and we, and we done a good job. And we did a very good job for him. In 18 months, we took him from 18 million to 60 million in revenue. And um, wow. And and so he left that company and he went to another company. And he said, "Hey, uh, you want to come help us out?" And I said, "Sure." And so we we got together. And during that, you know, when I'd worked with him originally, I'd done the usual thing. Well, hey, let's sign a 12 month deal, and you know, here's our retainer, and you know. Let's all cross our fingers and hope this this works out. And you know, and since that time, I you know moved away from that strategy. And, and I remember having lunch with him and his boss, and he said, "Can you give us a proposal?" I said, "No, no, we're we're going to do this little mini project first. He's like, "Well, can you make that mini project part of the proposal?" I said, "No." I said, "We're not going to do that." And uh, I said, "One." I don't know how we can scope. I don't know how we can accurately tell you what you need 
until we get through this little mini project, because that's going to help us figure out what you do and do not need. And, uh, and it was funny. He laughed and his you know, head was a little bit down and, and they never took the mini project. And I thought, wow, you know, maybe I missed this, you know, cause this was a former client that we'd been very successful for who was actively uh, petitioning. And I saw him about six months later and I, I said, Hey, Chris, what, what happened there? And he said, well, you know, the president of the company had a, uh, had a friend that was, had a marketing agency and we ended up going with him. And so that was the closest I ever felt to maybe we messed up by, you know, letting this deal get away. But then I find out yeah. we had done all that work, put together proposals and was still going to the buddy of yeah. the president of the company. Man. Yeah. I can't beat that one <laughs> no that's just frustrating um yeah. so i have a, i have a question going back as well like so you're designing the chips in cell phones and then you're marketing during the mobile revolution yeah what what's going through your head like of like because we're all trying to learn to interact on these devices and you were working on the predecessor chips and and know the thinking of those teams like, you know, here's something funny. So the back when I was still designing cell phones, I, I worked for Ericsson, which at the time was one of the three largest mobile phone makers in the world. And one of the times I was over in Sweden, I was walking through the office on the weekend and I saw a bunch of Swedes huddled over a lab bench. And the one thing I learned was when you saw Swedes working on the weekend, go figure out what they're doing. It's important. And because uh, they're never in there on the weekend. And so I go over and I knew uh, one of the guys, he was a project leader. His name was Lars Nord. I said, hey, Lars, what are you working on? And he said, oh, it's this, uh, it's this new wireless standard. It's going to transfer data back and forth. And I said, well, tell me a little bit about it. He said, well, there's a consortium. It's made up of Ericsson, Nokia, IBM, Toshiba, and Intel. And uh, we're working together to create this standard. And this is the very first radio you know, uh, of this standard. And we're getting ready to fly back to the United States to show this radio to the consortium. What I saw was the very first Bluetooth radio. Wow. Wow. And I saw it before the consortium that was helping build it. So I'm like one of the very first people in the world to see a working Bluetooth radio. That is freaking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the time I just thought, okay, another wireless standard. I had no idea it would be in absolutely everything we have. Yeah. That's just gotta be a moment. You're walking back and going, Oh crap. Uh, yeah. That was, um, um, yeah, I'm looking at everything on my desk that has Bluetooth. I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. Every like, device. Well, you know, it's it's funny. A lot of it you just kind of take for granted. You, you know, you get in it, you get in the middle of it, and you just don't think about it. You're like, you know, I, um, you know, back when people still hadn't gotten their first cell phone, I had like, four or five working phones at any time. 
uh, I had different colors. Uh, it's like, it was just, I grabbed whatever the phone that had the, the, the plastics that were in, you know, the mood I was in. And you just don't think about it. That's just normal. You know, I reach in the drawer, uh, yeah, I'll take this phone today. And, um, and, you know, so in many ways it was really neat. Um, you know, and, and with live technologies that, that bring along a lot of good things, uh, we often take the good things and we push them too far until they become bad. You know, the one thing that, that didn't feel great was contributing to this culture where, you know, you look at, you go to a restaurant and you see a family at the table and they're all sitting there like this and, you know, nobody's talking and they're all, um, you know, they all have their heads in their phones. Um, you know, not fun knowing that, you know, I contributed to that. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, I'm sure, you know, what happened with, with or without me. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I mean, I remember in, in school, our, um, two things my professors told me, they said at some point in the future, uh, calls will be free. Now they weren't right about that. They weren't strictly right, but they were very, very close. I mean, when's the last some time somebody paid a long distance charge? You know, it's, you know, that's gone away. I mean, it used to be if you called into the next county, you know, you would yeah. you would think twice because you'd have a long distance charge. Yeah. Yeah, and I didn't always have to dial the area code either. Oh, I remember I'm dating myself too. And uh, yeah. And the other thing they told us is in the future, you won't be calling a number, you'll be calling a person. And we're not fully there, but we're largely there. I mean, gone are the days where you, you've, you're memorizing like 20 key phone numbers in your life. Um, I can't even tell you my dad's number. And he's had wait. the same number for 20 years. I'm, yeah. I'm happy. I now remember four phone numbers. Of yeah. A month ago, that was three. My phone number, my wife's, which is one digit off of mine, and 911. And now there's a 988 for mental health crisis. Yeah. I remember that one. Because <laughs> I don't need to. We've got, this is the amazing thing about these. Like we have a mobile computing device, right? Um, I don't need to remember all that stuff. I just tap it in my phone. Uh, and uh, yeah. Let me I close mean, the door. I'll be right Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got the uh we got the dog barking um the, the extortion happened casey went dancing again <laughs> yeah sorry about that oh no um i mean I, I remember like the living daylights with timothy dalton like bond in the 80s like his first like first scene he like does this uh uh there's uh he jumps off. Oh, there's a fight, like a bunch of people, and then I don't remember exactly how it worked out. And then he goes off the, winds up in a boat in the middle of the ocean, and he's got a like, cell phone, I think, or a satellite phone. I think that was like big bulky thing. And then you, you know, then the future of mobile was uh, was pagers with, you know, Doogie Hauser later on. So like, man, um, yeah, you had to watch out for the, you know, the people's face down in their phone but I'll, I'll take this over those any day yeah man pagers oh yeah i had a pager i didn't have a pager that was something i was i was ascertaining i was going to do i was going to get one someday and then you know so here's here's a lesson and i saw this early on 
you know, and this really, this really made an impact on me. Um, so back in the late nineties, um, Motorola was strongly number one. Uh, but right in the last part of the nineties, they started switching over to digital phones and Motorola didn't have a great digital solution. And so it was kind of between Nokia and Ericsson and, um, Ericsson had a really slick phone that was actually in a James Bond movie. And, um, and if you want to dance, I actually have one sitting over, you know, 10 feet from my desk, but it was a phone. It was a beautiful phone. It was tiny. It was lightweight. And it was placed in a James Bond movie. And um, and it turned out that um, both Nokia and Ericsson had chips sourced out of a uh, Philips fab in New Mexico. And one day the fab burned down. And the same day that the fab burned down, Nokia got a phone call from Philips saying, hey, Nokia, this is Philips. We got bad news. Our fab just burned down. What do you want to do? And Nokia said, thank you so much for calling. Uh, we want you to put together a team. Here's, we'll be there in two days. Here's who we want to have in the room. Uh, here's the information we want to have. And so Nokia flew over, sat down with Philips, and they um, worked out a plan to cover all their capacity. Now, they used up all of Philips' remaining capacity worldwide. And they said, this is still not enough. We want you to license the design of one of your competitors. We will pay you for that but we want you to license the design of one of your competitors uh, because we need that capacity. And Phillips agreed. And so they got all that ironed out in about two weeks. Now, about two weeks after that fire happened, Ericsson goes down to the shipping dock and notices there's no parts there. And they get upset and they call up Phillips, you dirty dogs, what's going on? Where are our parts? And Phillips says, oh, we've been meaning to call you. We had a fire. And it burned down the fab. And Erickson's like, well, we need capacity. And they said, well, we don't really have any capacity. And so that was the time that Nokia pulled ahead and became number one. And it's hard to imagine now because they've been out of the game so long. But there was a time where one out of every two phones shipped in the world was a Nokia phone. I mean, massive, massive market share. And Ericsson's phone was really good. It was, you know, Nokia had some strengths with their phone. Uh, Ericsson's was pretty neat as well. You know, it had different strengths. But the fact that Ericsson couldn't flood the market with those phones facilitated Nokia leaping forward to number one. And when I left Ericsson, you know, and they actually had vendor training and they basically, for lack of a better phrase, they taught us how to abuse the vendors. And, you know, they even had us doing role playing where we would uh, abuse the, the vendors, uh, you know, stopping just short from having a paddle. And, and, um, and so when I left Ericsson, I went to a, a chip, a chip maker it was called RF micro devices. Uh, their number one customer was Nokia. And I started learning how Nokia did business and, you know, Nokia was tough without, without a doubt, they were tough. But the one thing that you knew when you worked with Nokia is they were interested in your success and they would come in and they did something that was just unheard of. And that was for you to ship parts to Nokia, you had to open up everything. You had to open up your cost models and everything. And, and they would sit there and they'd look at your supply chain. And if they said, you know what, 
we think you're paying too much for this element in your supply chain. Here's what we want you to do. And they would coach you to make your supply chain both more robust and cheaper. And, um, and even though they knew our cost models, their view was um, we have market prices for all these parts. We get a little bit, we pay a little bit less because we're Nokia, we're the biggest, but we will pay you this. And so we had products that sure enough, we only had like 30, 30 to 35% gross margins. And that actually worried Nokia. Those were the ones they were focused on, not to drive the price down. They were like, this is the price it has to be. But they were working with us to try to figure out how we could reduce our costs because they wanted us to be profitable. But at the same time that we had those parts shipping at 30 to 35% gross margins, we had other parts that were we were shipping at 70% gross margins to Nokia. And they knew it because that was the market, you know, that was the market price minus the discount that they wanted. And so it was a relationship where I looked at it, it was like they they knew that you wanted them to, that if you were supplying to Nokia, you knew that Nokia wanted you to succeed and they would coach you to make sure you did succeed. And it didn't mean that they didn't have high expectations. Any tier one uh, you know, customer will. But that's the reason Philips got the phone call the day the fab burned down. And it's the same reason Ericsson didn't get a phone call. Yeah. Oh, man. That kind of that's that's powerful. No, uh, wow, that's a life lesson right there. Yeah, I'm like, man, market uh, dominance gotta... is by being a nice, you know, by caring about the relationship. <laughs> um, yeah, because they basically cared enough to make sure that you didn't fail, because it it helped them. Because now you're never going to go out of business, so I don't have to worry about my supply chains. Yeah. And as a business, you get to grow too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And and there was a time when there was a Nokia phone. There were 1 million phones a day shipping out of a Nokia factory. Every wow. day, a million phones leaving the factory. And for you to have that type of supply chain, you have to have suppliers that you can count on. A million, jeez. My first was the Nokia brick. Yeah. That had Snake. Favorite game ever. Yeah. <laughs> I had a Razor. Um, that was probably a little bit later. I don't. Yeah, know. that was later. Yeah. Yeah, they brought that back. They brought that back in a um, Android version. Huh. I I didn't get into a cell phone for a long time. I was like. Um, it sounds backwards, but I was like, landline works perfectly fine. I don't want something. I was worried about the reliability of a, I was like, you know, I'm going to have to have a, a landline regardless because of reliability. So why pay for both? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if my kids know what a landline is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, explaining to my kids now is, I don't want to go too far down this road. Um, the, I mean, it's like you know, we we actually had to have a little box to have a you know a voicemail, uh, and then you had to pay for an extra service to make sure that that could be recorded, because when I was younger, 
we had if we left the house and we didn't have that service because i didn't when i was a kid you know got that when i got my first apartment i knew that if i missed a call if i if the call didn't come in i was expecting it was because i wasn't there at least i was convinced of that if it was going to be a job that was supposed to call me back or if it was going to be a girl i i wasn't leaving and until i got that call or if i did i was like this is it i'm, I'm gonna miss the call i get back i'm like ah and of course sometimes it would still come in but that was that was the psychology at the time the freedom of of being able to have a voicemail alone was like wow yeah 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 it's 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 amazing it, it was it was interesting uh you know at least when i was in it it was the largest consumer market in history there was no other consumer product that had shipped that volume of anything. And um, it was wild. It was, it was fun. It was, it was an interesting time. And um, it, um, but it, um, yeah, like I said, it changed. It changed and uh, the, uh, the margins eroded away and, you know, and it's just, it's, it's a bloodbath. It's just, it's tough. I mean, even, you know, it's, it's funny phone, the cost of phones have gone up considerably in the last few years. Uh, but even when you think about what's, what's in them, uh, it's, it's amazing. You know, the functionality that they pack in those small devices. It really is. Yeah. Like their relative cost to what you're getting has been going down forever. Yeah. Uh, just massively. I mean, because you're getting, ex I mean, the amount of memory, the computing power, the the capabilities that they're packing in, that you know, are just that you know, the cameras are just paying less and less and less every year, even with inflation, and, and with that, and you know, technology is deflationary, right? Um, it's just amazing when we look at what we can. <laughs> I've got five G towers popping up, and um, I mean, you talk about like. Uh, like AOL at one point, either either owned uh, or they were contracting out. I think it, I think it was a hundred percent of the CD manufacturing uh, of the world for just like short period of time because they were sending. Remember the the AOL was the coaster of the late nineties, right? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody yeah. had a free AOL disc. Yeah. <laughs> That's when uh, AOL Instant Messenger uh, when Sun said it a couple of years ago, but. I remember many work conversations like T -t 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 -t, and and yeah, just yeah. You know, I you know I moved back, uh, so I was living in Japan uh, up until June of 1991. And I moved back to the U.S. and immediately uh, went to university, and we go in there and they introduce us to this thing called email. And I'm like, well, this is kind of interesting. And I had, uh, you know, I was living in Raleigh, North Carolina at the time. And my, my brother-in-law was down in Houston. And I realized I could send him an email and it would arrive instantly. And I remember looking at the timestamps, trying to figure out, I was like, no, they have to put a delay in here. There's no way this could be instant. And as soon as I figured out there was no delay, I was like, all the phone companies are going to hate this. You know, now realize I had just flown back from Japan where I was caught paying a dollar a minute to call back to the United States. And, um, and wow. yeah, and I saw this thing. I'm like, 
this is bizarre. You know, this is going to instant communications and it's free. This is, it's like, oh, the phone. And I thought for certain the phone companies would find some way to put a stop to that because it was just too disruptive. And, um, and so the other thing, you know, so we were using these little Unix terminals and we had to learn different commands. And there's this Unix command called finger, which you could, you know, type finger and then somebody's handle and it would say what computer they were on, how long they've been there, you know, so you could hunt down your, your buddies while you're, um, while you're looking for that. And so I thought, well, let me try this with my brother-in-law. So I send this command. He's working, you know, he's not for, working for the university. He's working for a private company. And I'm able to see exactly when my brother-in-law is at the desk and when he's not at the desk. Wow. And then one day I try it and it's blocked. And so I reached out to him and I said, hey, I, I tried fingering you the other day and it was blocked. He said, yeah, turns out you set off some security alarms. <laughs> <laughs> So I was unintentionally a very early hacker. I didn't know I was at the time, but. <laughs> you created, you helped create the industry of, of security, of cybersecurity. <laughs> that just shows how the, the people who made the internet, they certainly had no idea how it could be exploited, but they just had no mind towards security. I mean, things were just wide open. Yeah, that's. Yep. Just making sure that a one base could uh, communicate and make sure that we, you know, they survived and uh, at least some chain of the command survived a nuclear fallout. All right. Yeah. And I mean, imagine like you think of like mutually assured destruction leading to one of the most explosive technology. Sorry, pardon the pun. Explosive technologies mankind has ever uh, developed. Now we have like as much as writing, you know, like was. Uh, so massive because I could retain retain information generationally instead of just passing down stories. Now I can instantly communicate with anyone around the world, and it all starts with the idea that we could all be blown up. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah. It's bizarre how that started. Well, do do you know? Um, so a story most people don't realize about uh, you know GE. So. If, yeah, and again, this is dating myself, but GE used to have this little jingle, GE, we bring good things to life. Um, I think. Yeah, so it was a long time ago, like I said, dating yeah. myself. Well, so the irony is the General Electric Company was started by Thomas Edison. And way back in the day, there was a fight between Edison and Westinghouse, whether the country would make an electrical grid of alternating current, which was Westinghouse's uh, favorite current, versus direct current, which was Edison's favorite current. And Edison was losing the battle. And so he decided to do a demonstration to show people how dangerous alternating current was. And so he did these little experiments or he did these little demonstrations where he would take animals and he would hook them to, uh, to direct current and the animals were fine. And he'd hook them to alternating current and it killed the animal. And he's like, see how dangerous this is. We can't go uh, and use alternating current. Well, somebody saw one of these demonstrations and they said, hey, could you make a, a like a chair with electrodes where we put prisoners, have prisoners sit in the chair and we use it to kill them? And so Thomas Edison made the original electric chair. 
as a part of General Electric, which later went on to have a jingles, you know, slogan singing, we saying we bring good things to life. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Someone in marketing has a sense of humor. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> a morbid one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's uh oh that is hilarious. <laughs> wow. Um yeah. It's uh, it's yeah, but, but I mean I think that's your point. It's just you know, we create these technologies and and I I would imagine very very few creators of the technology ever had the vision for how it would be fully used. And um and it's just funny, these paths that we go along. And, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see what, um, you know, where AI goes. I know, Kevin, you and I have had a bunch of discussions about that. Um, you know, I my favorite AI story is still when, you know, Microsoft gave a body uh, Twitter account and spun up Tay. And, you know, 24 hours later, they had to uh, shut it down and issue an apology because, Tay was tweeting out these just horrible tweets about how how he liked Hitler and uh, and some very very off color sexual statements, you know. So in twenty four hours, the trolls had gone in and essentially programmed Tay to become a Hitler loving sex bot. Don't feed the trolls. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man, let's see. Yeah, I, I think uh, like the one, uh, some of the AI that is uh, that is going right now, um, uh, text to uh, text to image generation ones, um, text to video uh, mm. is or, or well, text to text to image is the one that I'm seeing right now with like uh, stable diffusion, um, mid journey, and there's a there's another one that I'm hearing about. Basically, a lot of the big tech companies. A number of them they've got they're creating these uh, i mean there's databases of at least billions of images and now there's companies that are making like uh you know the ai and much of it's uh open source code that can go in pull this you you do a search or you're using a search kind of function saying this is what i want and then you can put in some extra qualifiers hey maybe there's an artist name and high contrast you know vibrant colors something whatever uh maybe a style and then uh, tell it to go, and then it takes these images and and it runs it through the uh, the AI and creates an image that has never existed before. Um, you still are responsible if you use that. Um, but, um, so, and then you had uh, America's Got Talent in the last uh, sometime in the last few weeks. Um, yeah, they did. Um, there was a. Uh, they did someone on camera they were on stage and then there was a camera so you could see the screen of them uh so and then the actual uh, person singing uh, and the the one above you uh was uh was a deep fake uh or was simon cowell's face a younger Simon, a little bit younger simon cowell i think like overlaid on him so he it looked like slightly younger simon cowell who was singing on the screen above um and that's where we've gotten where it's it's openly accessible kind of stuff. Um, I, I don't think this gets rid of people. Um, Cause like if you're an artist, 
you know, um, yeah, it can create a bunch of, like, and some of it still needs some more work and it takes like skill to get, you know, I've got to figure out the right kind of searches and right way to work with the AI, but a, an artist knows what good looks like. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Me, I'm, I'm trying to create, oh, no, that's good. Someone else could come on. Like, yeah, it could be better. Oh. I made stick figures want to be erased. So when I was a kid, <laughs> so yeah. that was my artistic level. Uh, anyways, that's, uh, that's just a taste of some of the AI that's coming along. Uh, I can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So Casey, you got, uh, you want to start off the questions? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. See, you tricked me. Hey, you want to ask him your question while I pull up uh, my list of questions? It's a <laughs> Casey, Casey's been checking out the uh, the the free gifts while we've been sitting here talking. I may or may not have been signed up, already logged in, and created my account for my ten day learning platform. <laughs> See, this is Casey gets in and does all kinds of shit that I don't do, and this is where like there's a lot of stuff that uh, like um we've been counterparts for a long time. <laughs> a lot of these things, yeah. Um, it, suddenly, like, hey, Casey, you know how this works? Uh, have you heard about this? Suddenly, like a week later, I I've got something to show you. Like, what? I'm gonna send you a spreadsheet. Just do you, ha do you have a few minutes? Okay. <laughs> what the hell did you do? What is all of this? <laughs> I made just like dive head first into stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Within a month and, and a half, there's spreadsheets creating spreadsheets with bots creating stuff, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Oh. So, questions. Oh, oh, the question, right? Um, yeah. Um, the um, so, who stole the cookie from the cookie jar, and why did you think you would get away with it? <laughs> um. So the way it works out for me is uh, last. I think the last cookie I had. My wife, who uh, saved my life last year, came up to me and said, you ate the last cookie. Um, I was like, yep, you got to do more than save my life to get that last cookie. <laughs> so you just didn't care. <laughs> it's beautiful. Just, yep, right here. <laughs> I'm not hiding this. <laughs> Brazen. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Casey. All right, so I have like a list of questions and I normally just pick them randomly. We're going to start off with some easier ones and then okay. we're going to end with a couple that would probably relate to your COVID experience. So what is your favorite book? Hmm. I'm going to answer that with two books because they, they have one is one serves a one purpose and one serves that's very important. The other serves a different purpose. So, and it's funny, I read them the same year and those were the two best books I read that year. Uh, one book is called never split the difference by Chris Voss. Uh, it's a book about negotiating. He used to be a, uh, the lead hostage negotiator for the FBI. 
but if you use the advice he has in that book, all of your relationships will improve. You know, and it's really, you know, the, the key, you know, it's kind of a recurring message is if you want people, if you want to persuade people, the first thing you need to do is convince them that you understand what they're feeling. And you won't be able to persuade them otherwise until you do. And, uh, and I've used some of the principles in that in, in ways that just um, mind-blowingly effective. I, have, I, was in a, uh, I was in a client meeting. We were meeting with the sales team and we were trying to, you know, trying to see if they would try some different things on some of the leads that were coming in. And the meeting just went south. It just went incredibly south and it was so bad. I was getting ready to end the meeting because it just, it wasn't, nobody was benefiting from this meeting. And I thought, yeah, let me try one of those things Chris Voss talked about. And so I looked at the person sitting across the table and I said, it seems like you think that I came here today to critique you guys. And the salesperson, which I guarantee hundred percent, that's exactly what they were feeling. And the salesperson started saying, no, 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 not at all. Um, you know, and starts making the case for me being in the room, having the conversation that I'm having. And I mean, it was just it like completely turned the meeting around in 90 seconds. And it's one of those things, it's just hard to believe until you see it in action. So that's from one book. The other book that I read the same year is a book by Nate Staniforth. He's a professional magician. He is one of 31 people that Teller, of Penn and Teller, follows on Twitter. And that book is called Here's Real Magic. And it's about discovering wonder and magic in everyday life. Okay. Yeah. Which, wait, what was that second book name? Here is Real Magic. Here's yeah. Real Magic. And it's brilliantly well-written. Uh, it's the first book Nate ever published. And um, I mean, he, he didn't have a ghostwriter. He wrote it himself. And he is an amazing, amazing writer. Keeps you engaged. It's very, it, it's shocking that he writes so well. And, and by the way, if you want to get a taste of Nate Stanforth, if you go on YouTube, and look up um, Nate Stanforth Lottery Illusion, you will see one of the most mind-blowing illusions you've ever seen. And the only ones I've seen that blow my mind more than that was when I was in a, in a room with Nate uh, with a small audience of about, I don't know, 40 or 50 people. And some of the illusions he did, the easiest answer to what he did was it was supernatural but he made it all clear all along. These were just illusions. Uh, he's a brilliant ma magician. Wow. Okay. Are you finding that one, Kevin? Yeah. Staniforth. Okay. S-T-A-N-I-F-O-R-T-H. Yes. Yep. Yeah, got it. All right. I'm expecting you to send me that one. All right. Let's do one more that's Let's do one more that's fun. When you were young, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, wow. 
Wow. Yeah, let me go way back. Um, um, I uh, I ran away from home when I was six years old, and um, and my plan was I was going to go out and live in the woods and become a hairy man. <laughs> Look at. <laughs> six years old okay yeah there's uh, no arguing right. that yeah. <laughs> that seems like a legit reason to me <laughs> no kidding right <laughs> all right was grizzly adams was, was that on then um yeah i think so i think so yeah but yeah i was gonna live in the woods and become a hairy man all right if you could live anywhere in the world where would you live Huh. You know, I think, you know, it's funny. I've, I've lived in Texas for 18 years. Uh, and I think that would still be my answer. Um, I really, really, really like Texas. And um, the, and I've lived a few places around the world. I've, you know, I've lived in Europe. I've lived a couple different places in Asia. And um. And they were good. They were fascinating. But I think I'd live here in Texas. I might, I might live, uh, you know, maybe an hour west of Austin, a little more into the hill country. But yeah, you know, probably still be Texas. Okay. All right. So here's where we're going to start turning. What's one thing you have not gotten to in your life that? if you do not get to, will be a massive regret. Hmm. I, uh, let me, let me change that a little bit. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I, I used to live in Japan and I would love to take my wife to Japan and, get her outside of Tokyo and show her some of the parts of Japan that I saw that were beautiful. The people were fascinating. Um, it was, it was a very, very rich experience in my life. And so the regret that I would have is uh, missing the opportunity to let my wife see some of the things I saw when I lived over there. Okay. That sounds amazing. <laughs> And then we'll last question. How do you want to be remembered? Huh? Wow. You'd think after the last year, I'd have a quick answer to that. Um, <laughs> huh? Um, and, and actually, I think I do have an answer to that. The, When I woke up uh, last year, just um, 
knowing that impacted lives and that would be missed. It definitely impacted lives, Craig. Tremendous character. And, uh... I'm yeah. a little yeah. sad that it's taken me to today for you to impact my life. Wow. That's very generous. I mean, this is this has been a great call. I've learned a lot, a lot of things that I need to do, and at least one course that I have to go through. So maybe many more. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna get. To, I'm gonna go to Japan. <laughs> I know. Like, I don't know what you've seen over there, but I need to go over there now. I mean, you've worked on. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Please finish your thought. I mean, you've worked on on uh, on. On designing the chips that I like, I think about. <laughs> um, I, don't know, I, um, I mean, just a whole bunch of like life experiences. I've never been outside the United States, been outside the contiguous forty-eight once. Um, that's it. <laughs> so just, um, <laughs> just a lot of, a lot of like, uh, I don't want to have a life and death experience again. Um, but <laughs> having that, uh, uh, that's uh, it. You know, a lot of a lot of like journeys to go through. Um, fantastic stuff, and yeah, you've got uh, you've got tremendous character. Um, anyone that uh, knows you is better for it. That's very generous, Kevin. Thank you. Right. If you if you do get a chance to go to Japan, what so many people do is they spend a lot of time in Tokyo. Um. I would spend like two days in Tokyo, you know, go see the palace, you know, go do Tokyo Tower or something like that. Get out of Tokyo. Um, and if I had limited time, I would spend, I would spend more days in uh, Hiroshima than I would in Tokyo. Uh, it's more beautiful in Hiroshima. Uh, it's more historic. Uh, the it's, it's just a very, very neat place. And, um, you know, and it's, um, you go in there, I've been the, uh, the, the museums in both uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki and, you know, you just see things and it, you know, it, it, it makes the reality of nuclear warfare very, very real. And, and you, you see pictures, the big difference with Nagasaki is they have, uh, color photographs in the museum as opposed to Hiroshima. Uh, it's only black and white photographs. And when you see those color photographs, uh, and I won't describe them, but it's, it, it, it leaves an impression. And it definitely makes you think about hard and complex choices. Yeah, that's a unsettling, but um, I think it's good for people to recognize those those possibilities can happen. That's one something we always want to step back from. Um, that's, but yeah, I'd love to love to go over there and experience uh, the culture and the the sights and uh, yeah. <laughs> Same for me. Like, there's a couple of countries I want to hit up. Just, like. 
since I was probably 10 or 11, I've wanted to go to Brazil. Really? Yeah. What, what fascinates you about Brazil? The Amazon rainforest. Oh, like, yeah. I don't even care about like all the major cities. I just would like to go to the rainforest and see it. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. I take that back. The one city I want to go to, I can't even remember, is the statue of Jesus. Yeah. I want to, I would like to go see that just because it's such a massive statue. That's just, it's fascinating on so many levels. But the whole rainforest, yeah. Yeah. But I also like, like, wife and I hit cruises, and my fun time on it is hitting the excursions to see, like, Mayan ruins. So, wow. it's like, I like that type of stuff. But that Machu Picchu? Is that? A, yeah. yeah. All right. I think we have, we've covered everything we could possibly cover. We've definitely kept you here over an hour. Yeah. <laughs> this has been great. And it's great meeting you, Casey. And, uh, you know, and let me just reiterate, if somebody wants the, those two um, free uh, resources, um, the URL I made is alliesforme.com, and it's number four, uh, slash Sith, you know, for Sith marketing. Yep. And we'll and, get that. I'll update the deal and I've posted everything to LinkedIn and YouTube. Well, LinkedIn and Facebook and YouTube will be updated shortly. I, I can so. vouch for Craig. Every time he talks to me about the process, it like blows my mind. The, 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 the thought that goes into it, the psychology behind it and, and everything you're like, this is what people do. And they like, yeah, oh, that's me. Yep. I'm one of the, Hey, this is why people do that. And they do this and this is what they're thinking. Yep. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly every time. Yeah. You know, what's funny is, yeah, here's, here's a, here's kind of a quick story. Yeah. We, the, you know, of course we study the way people make choices and, you know, we think as marketers, we often think about scarcity and how scarcity drives decisions. You know, so years ago I was at a uh, conference and I had a little booth at the conference and at one point, somebody rolled this cooler of ice cream out in the middle of the floor and people were grabbing uh, ice cream out of the booth or out of the, out of the cooler. And it's probably 20 feet away from me. And I'm watching this for about 45 minutes. But I have people visiting me in the booth and I'm going to engage with the people. But I'm thinking about ice cream, 45 minutes. <laughs> and I figured out that, you know, they, they had two types of ice cream. One was a drumstick. And the other was a Nestle Crunch uh, bar ice cream. And I decided when I get my chance, I'm going to go over there and get one of those drumsticks. And so finally, um, people were done visiting the booth. I head over to the cooler. I reach in to get my drumstick. And I notice there is one Nestle Crunch bar left. My hand moves, reaches away from the drumstick, we're the Nestle Crunch Bar. As I'm doing it, I'm like, Craig, you're only doing this because it's the last one. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, it is. And it's mine. And 
and I wouldn't argue that at all. I would be grabbing that last one too. And it's just funny. I mean, even when you know how these different mechanisms work and you see yourself falling to them, you're like, yep, that's why I'm doing it, but I'm still doing it. <laughs> it tasted even better that way, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. So... Well, anyway, this has been really good. It's great meeting you guys, and I appreciate you having me on. And um, this has been fun. Um, thank yep. you so much, Craig. All right. Night, everybody. All right. Good All night. Right.